0: Today on A Voice in the Wilderness, we are have the opportunity to sit down with Senior Pastor of Connect Church in Lake City, Florida, Ray Keen. I appreciate you being here, man. Thank you so much. I love you, brother. You are um, you're inspiring to me, man. To watch what God's doing in your church, and man, I just love to I love to see what God's doing, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. And just want to tell you thanks for coming, man.
1: Absolutely, it's a privilege and honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, I will tell you what, man. Um, there's a lot going on in our world right now, man. <laughs> Ain't that and, the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're a senior pastor, but you know what? One thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, uh, Pastor Ray used to teach at my my daughters used to go to school when they were in your class, and I remember before me and you actually met, my daughters were like, "Man, you got to meet this guy." You know, you got to meet <laughs> this guy, and they were just, you know, and they kept saying how much our testimonies kind of, kind of were almost identical. And so I've never really shared that on the podcast. I've never really talked about my testimony very much. I'd probably give bits and pieces. Right. But I haven't actually heard a lot of yours. So what I'd like to do is just kind of see how close are they? Because my daughters always said they were. But so tell me a little bit about how you came to faith.
1: Yeah. So I um, was it, you know, like I said, when we came here to plant the church in 2015, you know, the church didn't exist. So, you know, we had to, I had to. Take a job basically. I left a vocational position to, you know, become bivocational. And in the process of teaching, you know, I met your kids and I was just telling stories, talking, and your daughters kept saying, You gotta meet my dad. Like you guys are like the same person, like you got the (laughs) same story. So I tell a little bit about my story and we'll see how much they line up together. You know, so um I'm the youngest of six. You know, uh, there's a big age difference between me and, like, my next brother is, like, 13 years. My sister, who's the oldest, there's a 21-year difference, almost 22. uh, Now,
0: now, do you want to go through your testimony, or do you want me to hit it up right? Because I'm the youngest of eight. Okay. (laughs) I'm the youngest of eight, and my oldest sister was my seventh and eighth I'm sorry my eighth and ninth grade science teacher that's how far apart oh we my are. she taught me in school
1: <laughs> so when we hit parallels you could just point it all out right, like there's a right. parallel there yeah go. so you're same way so my sister you know uh, pseudo raised me you know um, alongside my mother because my father died when I was two years old okay so. my
0: dad died when I was actually he died December eighteenth. I would have been two in January.
1: Okay, so I would. He died August the third. I would have been three in September. No, so, no, wait. I'm
0: sorry. I would have been three. Yeah. I would have been three in January. So he died when I was two.
1: Yeah. So we're exact same, you know, exact same way there. So my dad's it was kind of unexpected. He was diagnosed with cancer, and I think in like April or May he was diagnosed with a brain cancer, and he passed away in August. It was quick.
0: Yeah, my know. dad passed away in his in his sleep. He had an enlarged heart, and it just ruptured in his sleep, and so it was instant, too, man. Wow. I actually, believe it or not, it was crazy. I not remember that night. Wow. You know, because they used to have, you know, the old ambulance that was 1973, yeah. and it was like a station wagon. Yeah. I remember that being in the driveway. I remember kind wow. of details about that night, and I wasn't even three yet.
1: Yeah, wow. That's, that's crazy. So, for me, my youngest memory, it's, it's – you know, I don't remember much about my father. I don't remember his voice or, you know, any stories about him or anything, but I do remember like the toll it took on my mom. And like my youngest memory is we lived in this townhouse behind here in Lake city. Cause my brothers and my sister was here. So they brought him to the VA here and this is where he passed. And so my mom just decided to stay cause we were in Georgia, but my mom decided to stay because this is where her kids were. And we, um, You know, I remember staying in the townhouses behind Ken's, you know, behind Ken's barbecue. That's where we stayed. Back then there was a pool there, you know, inside of that little complex and we would walk what's the Pelican Snow cone. Now that was a rally's and what's that animal shelter was a pizza hut. And so we would eat lunch at either rallies or the Pizza Hut and we'd walk to it and then we'd eat dinner at Ken's and then <laughs> we, like every day. That was our routine. You know, my mom didn't drive. You know, she was a career housewife. She didn't drive you know, my dad died unexpected. She had to figure things out, you know, really quickly. And as a you know, as a result, we walked pretty much everywhere we went. I remember just walking everywhere. And we also um you know, we'd sleep on the couch. Like my, my mom for whatever reason wouldn't sleep in a bedroom for years. And so for the first Hmm. few years of my life, probably Todd's, probably, I would say 10, 9, 10 years old, maybe, maybe even 11, we slept on couches. She slept on a couch on one side of the living room. I slept on a couch on the other side and we never slept in the rooms. I think just because she couldn't bring herself to, you know, to go there because of my dad passing. And so I will say this about my mom and it's a testimony to love. My dad died in 88 and my mom has never looked at another man, never even given a thought to another man. She's gone on, I think, one date in 33 years.
0: <laughs> now, see, this is crazy because when my mom, when, when my dad passed, he had a, we had a Western Auto store here in town. Right. And my mom had to take that over. I mean, she right. was like, had no experience in business and uh, she had to actually come in there and start running that business. And we fortunately, you know, it did well for us financially, but you know, I was raised by uh, Lily Mae. She was actually a black lady that my mom hired to keep our house. And she actually kind of raised me because my mom had to go to work. But what's interesting about that is my mom has never remarried either. Wow. Um, You know, and I asked her one time, I'm like Dad, you know, why? Why have you never, you know, she dated a little bit, but I said, why have you never really, you know, kind of gotten hooked up with anybody since dad? And she said, "Um, I'll never find another man like him."
1: That's what my mom said. Yeah, it's, it's kind <laughs> of crazy. Verbatim, so, yeah. You know, my mom's like, there, "There'll never be another man like your dad." I, I you know. Man, so. I can only
0: hope that my wife would say that. If, <laughs> yeah. if I killed over, she'd probably be like, "Hey." <laughs>
1: yeah, I tease Tony all the time about that. I'm like, "Yeah, if something happens to me, you can spend the life insurance on the next one. <laughs> you yeah. guys can live your best life." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my sister, I you know, my and I'm very close to my sister, um, and she's kind of, you know, my parent as well, because she jumped in and took the role of raising me. And like my sister paid a price for it, you know, uh, for raising me. You know, so I grew up in this house with two women and one kind of pseudo played the role of a man. You know, my sister would work and come home and my mom was like the mom, like she cooked, You know, she was the nurturer. Like, I didn't go to my sister for, like, nurturing or sympathy because it didn't exist. You know, my sister's, you know, not the most empathetic person. You know, she's kind of, I got that trait from her. You know, sometimes I struggle with that, too. You know, and my sister's like, hey, you know, life's tough. Suck it up. You know, that's kind of her. her, her, That's (laughs) her philosophy to life. You know, sometimes life sucks. Suck it up. Like, you just got to roll with it. And so, you know, I know my sister, she worked two jobs to take care of me. You know, I remember she would, you know, during the day she was a merchandiser. She helped put Gatorade on the map before it was kind of like a thing. She worked in all the stores. And, like, I don't know if you remember this or not, but, like, you'd pull Gatorade off these black trackers. And, like, those trackers, you know, had, like, chains that suspended them in the air. And they were, like, this cool technology that the little head just sat on it and you just pulled it off. You know, she installed those all over you know, this region, and she would buy cooler space for, you know, the company that owned Gatorade before Pepsi bought it. Now Pepsi owns it. And she worked for the Pepsi Corporation for, I mean, I'd say somewhere near 25 years. So she did that, and, you know, she worked for a third-party company called Advantage Sales, but it was subcontracted by Pepsi. And so anyway, she did that for about 25 years as a retail merchandiser, and then she would work nights and weekends at Pizza Hut you know, as a waitress, you know, just to try to make ends meet and to try to make it. And so, like, she she didn't have to do that because I wasn't her responsibility.
0: You know, it's crazy about, um, you know, you talk about how close you and your sisters were. It was similar for me, too, because my sisters were in high school when I was just a little thing. And so, like, when I see my sister's friends around town, they remember me, but I don't really remember them very much (laughs) because – I was so little, but they remember me running around with my sisters. So I would, I'd be at the, I'd be at the high school with them, the try Hawaii meetings, the driving movie theater. I mean, they would take me everywhere. Wow. You know, cause you know, I mean, it was like, I, I had five sisters and two brothers, but the thing about it was, is my sisters were so much older than me. It was like, I had a bunch of moms.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. You
0: know what I'm saying? So it was similar with me yeah. too, when it comes to my, my relationship with my sisters.
1: Yeah, and so and like our family structure was broke down the other way they were all boys there was five boys and my sister <laughs> so like my, like my dad I think he kept trying to have another girl and just like you know kept striking out you know I'm thankful that you know he yeah. didn't give up because otherwise I wouldn't be here you know but you know so my sister you know my sister you know she took the large part of raising me and she tried to give me you know the experience the best she could but you know like there comes a certain point and, I, and I've had a heart for young men especially because of this because i know i lived it i know what it feels like and you you'll relate to this too because you know there comes a certain age where that you receive this i the idea of the revelation comes to you that it, you're different right there, there there's a hole there something's missing Absolutely. and i'll never forget when it happened for me so my um you know I want my friends all around. They were playing baseball. You know, we played baseball in the yard, you know, like Sandlot. You know, my sister's yard was like the ball field and all the neighborhood kids came and we played ball. And my friend, Matt, uh, who lived down the road, he taught me how to play. He taught me the game, taught me the rules. He you know, taught me how to field a ball, hit a ball, did all of that. And so now came the time that I wanted to play at the next level. So my sister, you know, enrolled me into you know, City League and then City League became like AAU Baseball. And, you know, so I started, you know, making, you know, the same track as, you know, other people who play sports, you know, seriously. And I remember we played in this tournament and um, my sister had to work. She couldn't go. And so I caught a ride with the coaches to the tournament. And it was like it was like a one day tournament or something like that. I was probably I'd say maybe I would say somewhere between 10 and 13 I don't know the exact age, but somewhere around there. So, anyways, we play in this tournament, and, you know, like, we we win this tournament. And I guess by my estimation, looking back, we weren't supposed to. We weren't supposed to win this game, you know. And so, like, we we win, and, like, there was this huge celebration afterwards because we won. And I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all these dads with their sons, and they're high-fiving, and they're talking about, you know, you did this or you did that. And then there was me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, man. And that was the moment that it became real to me like, I'm not like the rest of these guys.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I can remember when it hit me too, man. When I was, uh, it was about the same age. And um, I was riding a vehicle and I looked over and there was a, a kid about my age and his dad in the yard throwing a football. And I remember that's when it kind of clicked for me. I was just like, man, you know, I'll, I'll never, I'll never get to experience that. You know, on this side of, yeah. uh, on this side of life, and and I remember thinking whenever I was playing football, I remember my mom and them man, they were so supportive. My mom and my sisters, that my family really were supportive of my my athletic career, but there was just like you said, it was something missing. And so what I did to compensate, at, uh, originally my compensation for that gap, was I would develop really deep relationships with my coaches. Yeah, I mean, really deep, like like I almost looked at them like they were my fathers. But then it didn't take long, and that became older guys that I hung out with mm-hmm. and drinking, and it became like I looked up to these guys in high school when I was a junior high guy, almost like, you know. Like a father. I, yeah, and I started, you know, everything they were into, I started getting into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Same story, you know, almost identical. You know, because, like, what happens is you, you, you get this. First you recognize the hole, and then you want to know why the hole was there. Right and you know like obviously i understand my dad died it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out but understanding the what isn't the same as processing the why amen you know why? you know why did that have to happen to me you yeah. know and so like if there's a, there is a father you know listening or watching i would say don't underestimate your value in your kid's life no your Never. voice is going to play a critical role one way or the other Good if, or it, bad. if it's silent It's going to play a role, you know, so just thinking that, oh, I won't have a say, you're still having a say. It's going to play a role. Right. You you need, if you can be involved in any way, shape or form, you need to be involved. Amen. You know, it makes a big difference. And so
0: in ministry, we see that all the time, all the time. I mean, it's so simple to to spot it. You can Mm -hmm. see it in especially young girls. Mm -hmm. A lot of what's going on right now in our world with social media and the way that these young girls are behaving Mm -hmm. online and all that. A lot of that comes from that absence of having that relationship with their dad. Absolutely. And, and
1: seeking gratification from something else that your father's supposed to fulfill.
0: And this is the crazy part. Mm-hmm. Some of these young women have dads that have been living at home their whole life. Yep. I've had young girls sit down in counseling sessions and weep tears, and their dad's always been there. He just worked so much that he wasn't there. That he wasn't there.
1: Yep. You know, because, you know, someti- sometimes it's not like like when we think like absentee dad, we think like, the the joker who abandoned his kids right you can be present and be absent at the same time amen you know if you're not if you're not there and making a conscious effort to get to know them on their level you know this is uh, from you know i know this isn't the direction we want to go but i just want to touch on it real quick the you know for as a parent you know who my kids are starting to come of age where they're developing their own personalities it's challenging because like me i'm like The, I would say, kind of in some ways, the atypical guy. You know, I like sports. You know, I like, you know, those are things I'm into. Well, my son, he's not really into sports. He's a musician. I'm not really into music. You know, I mean, other than listening to it on the radio, but, you know, he's learning to play the drums. And like, you know, right before I left to come here, he's picking up the guitar, playing on the guitar. I would never have that passion, you know, or the dedication to invest into that. You know, but I can look at it and say, okay, well, he's nothing like me, so I'm not going to try to reach him or I'm, or I'm going to say, you know, it's my job as the father to find some way to find commonality with him. Yeah. And I'm going to keep working at it until I figure it out.
0: So I got this question for you because this is something that comes up. Because I've got a, a daughter that's about to get married. Mm-hmm. i got one that just graduated. And um, I told my wife, we were talking about it this morning, and I told her, I said, sometimes I, I I just want to ask you for some grace. Yeah. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I really don't have anything To measure being a father with, you know, I didn't have that relationship growing up. So I'm trying to learn how to father adult children, right? You know, on from my side, and so I don't know if that's something that you deal with, but for Constantly. me, it's a constant learning experience yeah. for me.
1: I, I know we can't say it because it's so, not really socially acceptable anymore, but like my idea of parenting was Heathcliff Huxtable, you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, and it's nothing like that, you know, right. or Full House where it ends in 30 minutes with the hug. It's nothing like that. Right. It's like it's, that's not how parenting works, and I had nothing to balance it to myself and you know like I mean I, I could look at my brother's examples and look at them but I wasn't close enough to them you know growing up you know because not nothing against my brothers but they were living their own life you know right. like they had their own responsibilities and they tried as much as I you know give them you know now that I'm a grown man I kind of understand a little bit different as a kid I didn't understand you know I was like why don't you want to be a part of my life but you know now that I'm grown with a family of my own, I understand a little bit differently. You know, they they tried to the best of their ability, but they weren't who I could look to. And I really didn't have that one true example, really, until I reached close to adulthood. And, like, I can honestly say, like, I didn't come across the person that I would say filled that void for me until well into adulthood. You know, and it, it changed my life. You know, like, when I found... You know, someone that kind of slid into that role, which we could talk about in a little bit, you know, but it, I I tell Tony the same thing. Like, you know, so we, we have issues sometimes because, you know, I don't have like Because she'll say, well, when I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, I don't have that memory. Right. It wasn't there. So yeah. I don't I don't know what I mean, I have the memory with my sister and I will like sometimes weigh it against my sister and you know, like while I'm in endlessly thankful for her it's not the same right you know it's just it's not the mu- same as
0: much as my mom loved me yep. as much as my sisters loved me as close as they were to me it's not dad yep it's and not it's, the same. it's nothing against them they did the best that they could but right. the reality was I was much like you my brothers were older than me yep. and the problem with that was they were in their own lives but they also were in and out of trouble a lot right so crazy enough them being in trouble motivated me to stay away from drugs wow because they were getting in trouble with drugs. And so my thing was, hey, I'm not going to mess with that because I see what it's doing to my brother. But the same kind of principle, and my coaches kind of fit that role, you know, as my father figure. And I would, I, I mean, I would literally run through a wall for my coaches, not because I wanted to make them happy. I wanted to be accepted by them. Right. I wanted them to, you know, I wanted them to look at me like I was their favorite guy. And I wanted that relationship to develop, and the harder I played, and the better I got, the more they liked me. And so I'm like, you know, and I was, I I wanted to ask you that question when you first came in because I really, honest to God, I love my children. Like they will not be able to comprehend it until they become parents of their own. Exactly. But at this point, I'm I'm reeling it in, going I'm totally lost. Yeah, Yeah. give me some grace. Give me, you know, because fumbling
1: my way through the dark. I'm
0: I'm not perfect, (laughs) but. I'll keep trying. Yeah. I'll keep trying to get to where you need me to be.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that's exactly right. So, like, with Jordan, you know, him being my oldest, every experience with him is a first-time experience. But by the time I get to, like, River – yeah. Now I've got a handle of it because I've been <laughs> through it four other times. Yeah. You know, so now I'm like, OK, like I, I can see patterns in which they children behave at different levels and different stages. But with Jordan, it's all first time. And so, like, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit in my story. But when I had Jordan, I panicked a little bit. Oh. And so, like, I, I withdrew from taking care of him. And I left it all on Tony. And I just kind of had the mindset well, I'll work, I'll provide, you take care of the kid. And, you know, like I, I missed out on some critical bonding time with him that I pay the price for now. Right. Oh, Because you know, there, there's a difference now.
0: I was with my mentor a couple of weeks ago, and he was, and I was talking about you know, this, this dynamic I'm having right now with my adult kids and trying to manage my way yeah. through this. And you know what he told me? He said, How old were they when you got born again? and I was like man and he yeah. said he said you're going to reap harvest from the seeds that were sown before you came to Christ. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what that looks like yeah. and how it's going to manifest itself it's tough, in our but relationships, good. but I think that's where I think that's where things are they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And so um you know and I and it's so cruel that you said that because when Lindsay was born, our first one, yeah. which just turned 23, happy birthday, baby. <laughs> um I was sitting there for like a day and a half, and I couldn't hardly talk to anybody. Uh-huh. I mean, it was just such a overwhelming responsibility, mm-hmm. this feeling that I, I just had no clue what it was going to be like to have another human being come into the world that I actually cared more about them than I did myself, Right. which was absolutely outside of who I, I was at that time because I wasn't a believer. Right. I was so selfish, and all of a sudden, here's somebody I can't deny that they're here, yeah. and I can't deny that I need to take care of them and but but i did the same thing you did i worked yeah 70 80 hours a week yep. i missed that whole beginning period of Lindsay's life and um and you can see it in our relationship mm-hmm. today that i missed all that and mm-hmm. you know what and i think it hurts yeah her you know but it doesn't negate the fact that i'm crazy about her
1: right absolutely and that you know if maybe there's a guy who's watching right now, I know we're kind of really talking about fatherhood and everything. There's a guy watching right now. He might say, man, that's me. Well, there is hope. I mean, like, you know, it does change the dynamics of the relationship a little bit, but it's still repairable. You know, like, like I have, you know, I have a good bond with my son, but I, it is true that there's a different connection than I would say with John Parker, because I was a completely different human being when John Parker was in those small formative years. And I was a lot more engaged and a lot more involved. And so like when crisis comes, he will look to me when crisis comes for Jordan. He looks to his mother because that's who was there when he needed, when he, he knew he could count on her. He couldn't count on me. And so that was kind of like in his, you know, in his subconscious. And so sometimes I, am not going to lie to you as a, as a father, sometimes that hurts, you know, they like, I know he's going through something, but he won't come talk to me about it. And he won't, he doesn't want to share it with me. He doesn't want me to know about it. He'll wait for his mom. And you know, I'm okay with that. You know, like I, I was laughing and joking about it with someone, but it's true. Like I signed him up for football, bought all the equipment, went out in the yard, practiced with him, worked through you know the repetitions took him to all the practices helped coach the team when i didn't really have time or want to he gets in the game he gets a sack greatest moment you know he sacks the quarterback coolest moment ever he comes over to the sideline he's like dad did you see that i'm like yeah i did it was amazing he's like i know i can't wait to tell mom <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: what's our contribution <laughs> you know, i had this say it's crazy man the parallels in our lives are insane because yeah. i just texted gracie today because crystal was talking about a conversation yeah. that they had i texted her today i said honey when you have an issue with me yeah come to me
1: yeah not gonna happen <laughs>
0: I'm the only one that can fix the problem between me and you. Yeah. So you know, but my kids are the same way, man. Yep. The, the two older ones yep. that were were growing up when I was lost and I was working so much and I was always yep. gone. They
1: both it run it, to Crystal. Yep. It but it plays a role. They, it's a subconscious thought to go to the one that they're committed to, and you know, like that's that was the model that I had. You know, because my my sister loved me and my sister loves me. She'd do anything in this world for me. But my idea of parenting from a father's perspective was based out of work because that's what she did. Right. You know, I mean, she worked two jobs. She did whatever it took. So, like, like to me, I have this mindset that love is like every time you turn on the light switch and the lights come on, I just said, I love you. (laughs) When you open when you open up the fridge and there's food in there, I just said, I love you. You know, and so like it wasn't something. Not that my sister never said, "Hey, RL, I love you." That's my family calls me RL. Like, cause she did. She did tell me she loved me. I wasn't devoid or of being told that I was loved. But it's not how we showed love. Like I understood she loved me because she worked and sacrificed. I recognized that the sacrifice was love because. That's what she told me she said, "Love is really spelt w o r k yeah. it's sacrifice it's you know love is sacrifice, and you know I saw her sacrifice but you know
0: what honestly that's biblical
1: it is absolutely that's it, biblical yeah. because
0: what we do in our culture today mm-hmm. is people think if they're if they're attracted physically to another person that that's love that's not that's love not love that's no. lust, yeah. And that's what the enemy does he And that can, will fade. Yeah, it will fade and, and, and you get wrinkles mm-hmm. and you gain weight. Yep. <laughs> and you don't look the same. Your hair falls out. Your hair will grow everywhere you don't want it to, <laughs> don't and it I won't know grow it, where you want it to. <laughs> that's right. And so that's what the enemy does. He'll pervert love. Yep. And it's actually called lust. So mm. that's interesting that you talked about that. But when you when you actually like what time of your what period of your life did you actually like come to come your faith?
1: To, okay. So As a teenager, I went back and forth to this church down the road from my house. And, you know, so like my my friend, I had a good friend whose dad was the pastor of the church. So that kind of helped draw, you know, draw me in. And this is where I, you know, the Bible like really solidifies where it says the word of God doesn't return void. Because even though like it wasn't fully sinking in and I was nominal in my faith with Christ, when I knew that I had to hit rock bottom, I knew I could go to Jesus, right? You know, it, it, it really opened up a door for me, you know, before the door was even there. And so what happened was, you know, I started going to the church and like, you know, most, you know, teenagers, I um, you know, went to that phase where I was like on fire for Jesus. And then that fire went out really quickly. <laughs> and so, because my, you know, the void you were talking about how you look to older people, me too, you know, some of my friends like Matt, you know, I looked to him and like he was into some not so good things. And some of the other guys that I, you know, I don't want to throw their business out on, you know, live or anything, but you know, They were into not-so-good things, and they they made poor life choices, and I hung out with them, so I equally made poor life choices as a result, and it was progressively getting worse, but I had perfected the art because something happened to me. I, I know people who know me would find this hard to believe, but up until middle school, I didn't really talk a whole lot. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually a really quiet kid. As a matter of fact, I remember being at a parent teacher conference when they said we he's a great kid, he just doesn't speak a whole lot, you know, um, in class and my parents were like, Our kid doesn't speak a lot, he don't stop talking at the house. Yeah. You know, 'cause I just didn't have much to say because I wasn't very confident, you know, because I didn't have anything anyone building me up, you know, 'cause you know, like I I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere. You know, I always kind of struggled with belonging. And so like I'll never forget it. I was in the end of my sixth grade year. We were at the skating ring, because that's what you did back then. Amen, you know, so we went to the skating ring. And there was this girl. I want to say she was like in the end of her seventh grade. She might have been even in eighth grade. She was older than me. I know that. And I had the biggest crush on her. Her name was Margie Shields. I'll never forget it. And so, like she she just got dumped or she just broke up with her what would be, I guess you could say her boyfriend or something. And I was talking to one of my friends. He's like, this is your chance. Go over and talk to her. And I was like, I remember saying, no, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And they're like, just go do it. So like I was being egged on by my fa- friends. And so I slid over there and I sat down and I, I, I somehow didn't even know how I got there, but somehow I ended up there and I wound up, talking to her and then like she became like my girlfriend whatever that meant back then and like from that moment I found something that I had that most people didn't possess a gift with words and like while other things like if I wanted to be a baseball player like my friend Matt or my friend Charles I had to work really hard at that I didn't have their natural talent so for one hour practice they put in it would take five for me you know, like I didn't have the natural ability to do that, but what I did have the natural ability to do was speak. What I had the natural ability to do was use my words. Now that's my calling. It's my anointing. I didn't know that that God was had put that in me for a later time. I was like, oh, I can say whatever I want and people will believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, I, I really developed almost two identities. Yeah. And so like I was really good. I respected I respected my sister and my mom enough that like I never wanted to bring shame to them because of their sacrifice. I you know but I also was very I wanted to be a part of what everyone else was doing and I developed an anger towards God. I didn't doubt there was a God. I was angry with him. I remember where the anger came from too. And I, I battled it all the way through you know, my early 20s, to be honest with you, um, this anger that I would feel, this residual anger I'd feel with God at times. One night, I was laying on the couch. And like I said, I, my mom, you know, until we were about 10, 11 years old, we slept on the couch. And then one day she just decided she was going to go sleep in the room again, that she was done grieving. She was going to start sleeping in the room again. And so I was probably like 13 or 14, something like that. I was you know, a bigger, t- I was a teenager. And I heard crying and i was like well, i thought it might have been the tv or something so i got up and i walked down the hall of our house and my mom was crying and like she was crying i she was crying about my dad you know i, you know, I don't remember all the details but i remember picking up she was crying because my dad wasn't there and i felt this immense rage come over me in the moment and i thought to myself if there's a god I don't want no part of him because how could he do that to, to any human being? You know, how could he leave this pain that I have, this emptiness that I have and not care? You know, like this isn't like my dad wasn't like a deadbeat dad who walked out. You took him like that's how I was thinking in my mind. Like he died. Like, how, how, you know, if you talk about and you hear people say, and this is why I'm always conscious of like when you say he's a good father. Some people don't have that. Frame right. of reference to lean on. Right. You know, so they don't know what a good father looks like, you know. And so like in my mind, I'm like, OK, well, if he if he's God, the father, he of all people should understand the role of a father. Why wasn't he there? And so I just kind of made up my mind and said, OK, look, you know, good people go to church. I'll go to church, but I'll I'll play the part because that's what you know my friends do. That's what everyone does. But I don't know that I really want to have any real relationship with them. Because you can go sit in church all the time and it will do you no good. Amen. There's a lot of people who sit in church that does them no good. They're going to church because that's what you were taught to do. It's what you were raised to do. You know, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter what building you sit in.
0: Oh, I sat in church for a couple of years. Yeah. Married. You know, just trying to make my wife happy and had no no desire to yeah. live for God.
1: Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And you could sit there all day long, and the devil doesn't care, and frankly, neither does Jesus, because you're doing no good for either one of them.
0: Right. But I, I can tell you, for me, it was like I didn't, I didn't really have any kind of a. Nobody took me to church as a yeah. teenager or nothing like that. I guess there's a little difference in our yeah. testimony here. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I, I knew about it and stuff like that. But as far as me going to church yeah. or anything like that, it, it wasn't until I got married that I actually started going to a church, and that's when Crystal was like, "Hey, look." You're going to church with me. Yeah. And, you know, Lindsay had been born and Gracie had been born. And I would sit there in the church. Matter of fact, I even got baptized while she was pregnant with Gracie. And, brother, let me tell you right now, I was into everything you could get yourself into. And I got baptized. Wow. And, you know, I just wanted, wanted the hat pin. Okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a dad, I'm a a good dad. I wanted the image. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're you're filling the role.
0: Didn't care nothing about the true relationship at all. Yeah. So this was, I was, you know, in my 30s when this was going on. Had been with my wife since we were in high school. Wow. And and I drug her through
1: all that. Yeah, that, Yeah. you know, kind of similar. So things progressively got worse because this is the thing about faking. You can only do it so long before the real you starts to show up right i mean you can't keep up with all the lies right and no matter how good i was at you know spinning lies basically but you know saying saying to people the things that they wanted to hear you know to make sure that they thought that i was what they wanted you know i would be i'd be whatever they wanted yeah. You know, I was a chameleon. I didn't know who I was because if you needed me to be Ray the athlete, okay, I'd be Ray the athlete. You need me to be Ray the Christian, I'd be Ray the Christian. You want me to be Ray the drug addict? I'd be Ray the drug addict. It didn't matter to me. I I, I had so many different variations of who I was depending on who I was around that I didn't know who I was. My, right. I was lost in so many identities that I didn't even know what mine was. And I remember I went to this party. New Year, It was on New Year's Eve. I told mom I was going to a friend's house, and we wound up going to this party and it was it was a college party, and we, I was still in high school at the time. You know, I was at my senior year. I was in high school, and we went to this college party in Gainesville, and you know it was crazy. You know things you know things got crazy, and you know we were doing drugs and everything. And I remember Sunday night, that rolled over into you know like Monday morning, somewhere around the three o'clock hour. Three a.m. is about the last time i remember i passed out when i woke up it was tuesday at like 7 p.m i lost a whole day of my life monday completely disappeared from my life that's how hard we partied i woke up i was like whoa where am i at and i'm like they're like oh you're you're still here you know at the location and i said well Well what time is it? They're like, it's six o'clock. I'm like, I slept all day. They're like, it's Tuesday. Mm. I have no idea what happened those twenty four hours. That's when it hit me. Yeah. You know, my mom was freaking out because she had been calling me for twenty four hours and couldn't get in touch with me. You know, she was very upset, obviously. (laughs) You know, and I remember, you know, I mean I gave her some line that my phone was dead or something. I don't remember. It was broke or something like that. And I remember driving home thinking, I don't think I'm going to live five more years. Yeah. At the rate I'm going at the rate I'm going, I don't think I'm going to live five more years. And so I, now th- I wasn't following the Lord then, but I just made this conscious decision. Then, you know, what? I think I'm going to start changing some things. You know, And so I started cutting people out of my life because I, because I, you know, like if it wasn't that I was trying to be better. I just was like, I don't know where I'm at. I was in a really dark place. And then I got a call from one of our friends that a friend of ours that we partied with, he had died. Mm. And he had, got, he had gotten really high and he ran into oncoming traffic on the interstate. He had ran out into the interstate in South Florida mm. and he had died. Young man, he was like 19, 20 years old, gone and it was drugs and I was like man I've got to get it I've got to get a grip on reality here and so I cut those people out of my life and the best worst thing ever happened to me I hurt my knee I, I messed up my MCL and I was on crutches it seemed like for an eternity and while I was on crutches of course now I couldn't drive I couldn't go anywhere you know I was gaining weight I was You know, just sitting at the house feeling sorry for myself. I was in this dark place. I was miserable. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to be left alone. And one of my friends called me and said, hey, you need to get out of the house. And I said, I don't think I want to go anywhere. And they said, well, I want you to come be my plus one at this golf banquet. And I was like, I'm certainly not going to a golf (laughs) banquet. Like, it's not even a real sport. You know, now, now I play golf. but <laughs> back then I was like, you know, now I play at golf. How about that? You know, but I, um, you know, back then I was like, it's not even a real sport. I'm like, I'm not going to a golf banquet. And my friend's like, well, you know, it's free barbecue. Come be my plus one. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll go. So I wind up going. And I, I sat across the table from Tony, who's now my wife. And I listened to her talk all night, and I was just completely enamored by her. And the next day I called my friend, and I said, Who was the blonde sitting across the table from us? And they're like, Oh, that's Tony, but she doesn't date. Like she's like she doesn't date. Like you know, like she you know, she that's not her thing. And I said, Well, I just need you to get me on the phone with her. I'll take care of it from there. Like just Three-way call. Get us on the phone. Remember that. Like, let's yeah, do some three-way yeah. call and, uh, yeah. Like, get me you on the phone. Just spoke Spanish to a new generation. <laughs> They're like, "What's that?" Like, get like, get me on the phone with her. And yeah, man, I don't even know. I was throwing out such lame lines. I'm like, "Look, I, I don't care. I'll be a friend. I just want to know you. Like, whatever yeah. it takes." And so, like, we wind up dating, and you know, but Tony was very direct. You know, Tony came from a, kind of a rough background herself. You know, her parents were you know heavy drinkers. They're you know she grew up in bars, and so like she wanted no part of that life. And now I'm just transitioning out of that life, so I'm like now I've got to put on the ultimate facade because she's wanting something that I'm not. You know, because yeah. she's like no partying. Okay, I don't party. Like not in the last eight weeks. <laughs> <But> you <laughs> like, like you're like no partying, no drinking, no drugs, no. Like no, even smoking cigarettes. Like I don't want like none of I used to smoke cigarettes back then. And the only reason why I was able to get away with it is because she thought I was addicted to gum and her parents smoked and my sister smoked. So she couldn't tell. Now, of course, I smelled like smoke. It was you know, it was in my house. And so, um, you know, like till the day she caught me, we almost broke up over it. You know. So anyway, so long story short, we wind up getting together and she became kind of my whole world and everything revolved around her. And then, you know, my, you know, my best friend, Chris, who's always, you know, the two Chris's, uh, Chris Coleman and Chris Parker back then, they were like the mainstays in my life. They were my brothers. And like, they, even when Chris Coleman knew I was crazy, he still loved me. He was like, you know, even when his mom was like, I don't know about you hanging out with him. He's like, I know my boundaries. Like, (laughs) I know he's a little crazy, but I know my boundaries. He's a good dude, man. He is a good dude. And he's always been like that. And so, um, You know, thankful that they stayed beside me, him and Chris Parker. And they were my friends, you know, even when I haven't been the greatest of friends to them. And so me and Tony got married and then we had a kid. And like this whole time, I'm kind of like faking it because I'm like, okay, I know this is what Tony wants. She wants a guy who's going to church. She wants a guy who's, you know, not going to do these things. And it wasn't it 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 wasn't that I was opposed to it. It just wasn't who I really was. Like, you know, I, I still didn't have my identity. You know, I was just being another version for someone else. And I just really liked Tony, so it made it easy. Yeah,
0: she's awesome, by the yeah. way.
1: Yeah, she is. She's you know, definitely my better half.
0: I tell people all the time I know how much God loves me because of the wife he gave me. Yeah. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? I mean, She's, like, truth, way yeah. out of my league. <laughs> but that tells me how much God loves me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Same I, for you. I, by I, the way, I think the exact same thing because I I often ask myself like I don't know what I did to deserve a woman like Tony, yeah. you know, because she has been she's been a great woman in, in my life and a great partner and. You know there are several times where I would've left me, so you know, I know that you know she God give her he gave her some strength to endure, that's for sure, and you know she's you know from the moment we started dating, I was like, man, like she's everything to me and so but we what happened was we got we got married, really young, you know, had a kid, really young. now, I'm a kid myself, she's a kid, and now we're trying to figure out how to raise a kid. And, you know, neither one of us really know what we're doing. We don't really, you know, have any idea of what this actually is going to look like. This is the thing about marriage and commitments. It takes 20 minutes to say some words that you're going to spend the next 60 years figuring out what they mean. <laughs> Man, know, like no. It's not.
0: Brother, that is so true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like you don't you don't know what that means. I mean, you, you don't think you don't know whether or not you really love someone until you start fighting over a sock drawer or something like yeah. that and like yo and so we um we had Jordan and I was afraid like I, almost identical to what you said holding him in my hands I was like oh my god I've got this life and so I had two fears I don't know if you had this or not I had two fears one I'm going to screw this up oh yeah that was the first one and two what if I die and he has to feel what I felt
0: now let me let me tell you something about that now I had such an anxiety over that, dying on my kids. Yeah. It, it was crazy. I, Ray, you won't believe mm-hmm. this. I knew the exact day that I was going to be the same age as my dad was when he passed away. Wow. I knew it down to the day. That's how, And it, it, it got so bad that I thought I was having a heart attack, and I went to the hospital. They ran all these tests on me, and the doctor comes in there, and he sits down, and he says, there's nothing wrong with you nothing. Wow. And I said, listen, something's wrong with me.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, so, And I was a pastor by this time. I said, something's wrong with me. He said, nothing's wrong with you. I said, my dad died when he was 52. And I don't want to leave my kids yeah. without a father. I don't want them to go through what I went through. He said, I'm going to take you in there and I'm going to do a heart cath on you so you can see, see for it? yourself yeah. that you're in good shape. And he kept me awake, prayed with me the whole nine yards. Wow! And it wasn't until that day that I saw for myself that I was healthy and that my heart was in good shape that I was able to overcome that fear of leaving my kids without a father. Wow. I'm telling you, it was yeah. it was a I can't even explain to you how much that was on my mind as a father throughout the entire time I was raising my kids.
1: Yeah, that's uh, kind of the same way. You know, my dad was 54. Yeah. Know, so it's real close, you know, real close in age. And, you know, it's amazing how things like that it weighs on us. Oh, man. You know, it's like
0: people, unless you've experienced it, you can't understand, understand it. Understand it, yeah. You know, and, that, and, and, and this was hard. the hardest part for me too, Ray, was when I, I ran for the mayor of Lake City when I was 33 years old. And my dad was in a, a political office. He was a councilman when he was um, when he was alive. And as I was going around and knocking on doors, I was bumping into all these people that knew my dad. Wow. And these people were telling me all these stories about my dad. And everything was about how great he, he was, was and yeah. what a wonderful guy he was. And everybody, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they were just going, hey, you had a, you had a nice dad. It was like over the top. right? Like, they were telling me how great he was. And I'm sitting there, and I actually, through the process, I, I always asked God, why in the world did I run for office? Because, I, I mean, I don't even like politics. right? Even when I was lost, and I was lost then. I didn't even like politics. But I think that God sent me through that process because I really got to know my dad through his friends, through the process of, of, of campaigning. Wow. And so, um, it, it, but that made it even more difficult for me to be honest with you because, yeah. because then I kept thinking this guy would have been my best friend. Yeah. I mean, he would have been my biggest cheerleader. He would have mm-hmm. been my best friend. He would have been, you know, and in, you, in your mind, you start going through all these scenarios of what you're missing out on because he had, he, he passed away while you were so young. So yeah. it, it, it was a good process, but it also created a little bit more of a dynamic that it, I had to deal with.
1: It sure did. You, that That's what something I was about to touch on, you know, like part of that fear, you know, like, okay, I'm going to die, you know, and then, you know, the other side of that was my dad was like a hero to everyone. My dad's been passed. He's died. He's been dead. He passed away in 88. He's been dead for 33 years. You meet someone who knew my dad. They talk like he died last week. Yeah. You know, like it, they're still sad about yeah, it. Like it, like it, you know, like it's like this guy was like a world changer and you know, like, they're like your dad was such a compassionate guy. He was a caring guy. You know, like my, like they tell me stories like, Hey, your dad on Sundays would cook, would fire up the grill and would cook hot dogs and feed every kid in the neighborhood. Yeah. Now my dad couldn't rub two nickels together. You know, he was, you know, he was a, relatively poor guy, you know, and he worked hard for everything that he had, but he was a giver. He gave things away. He, you know, everyone speaks so highly of him. It was like, your dad's such an amazing person. And so then there was this fear of expectation versus reality. Like, okay, what if I'm not that guy? You know, like what, what if, okay. So like, there's this expectation that we're coming from a legacy of, you know, like this guy's a legend. (laughs) Like, what if, you know, what, what if I'm not? that thing? What if I'm not a legend? You know, what, what if I'm a failure at this? What if I ruin this kid? You know? And right. so like it, all of that kind of played a role and say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I trust Tony. I'm going to let Tony do it. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to let Tony raise this kid and I, I'm going to, I'm going to be Jerry. That's my sister. I'm going to be Jerry and I'll work three jobs if that's what it takes. I'll be the provider. I'll let Tony deal with it. Well, the reality is that doesn't work. Right. No. And so now I became absent in my home which in turn produced bitterness in our marriage and i found myself in a place where okay i don't i don't know who, what to do because i love tony and i i was in love with tony but i couldn't come to grips with who i was right. and what i wanted to be instead of what everyone else said i should be and everything I pretended to be to everyone else. And so I found myself in this place where I didn't want to be around anybody. And then it got dark. You know, wh- when you come to the place of being at rock bottom and you, you kind of reach that place where now you've played every card you can and you've got nothing left, It it starts to get dark. Oh, yeah. And you... I know you're a little bit about your story, so I know you'll relate to this. Then you start spiraling.
0: Oh, it went out of control for and, me. And it, Yeah,
1: and it gets out of control. And I became mean and, um, you know, said things. I, I said things that I wish never would have come out of my mouth. Amen. You know, that, like, things that if they ever came up, I would be mortified. I would never want, you know, them to ever come out. You know, I, some I, some of the things I said and did during that time.
0: I was that guy, Ray. Mm-hmm. That when I was going through that period, I was that guy that if my wife did something I didn't like, I didn't care if we were in the middle of a grocery store, and I didn't care if we were at a family function. Mm-hmm. I would, just I would it. lay into her right yeah. in front of everybody. Yeah, and and you know it it was just when you get to that part where you're just so you, you're trying to hold everything together. But everything's coming unraveled. Yeah. At the same time, and you're realizing I don't have any control over what's going on in my life. I'm totally out of control, and this is fixing the wheels are coming off, yes. and there's nothing I can do about it.
1: And that's that's right where I was. I went and talked to our pastor at the time, and I told him I said like everything that I am, it's unraveling, you know, and like because you know Tony was leaving, and so I was trying to. I was like, we'll do marriage counseling, we'll do whatever. And I'll be honest with you, at the time it wasn't because I wanted to stay with Tony. I know this is sad, but it's because I didn't want to pay child support. Yeah. You know, I, I was trying to keep her. It was, ch- I had two kids now because now Allie was here at this point, And I'm like, it's cheaper to keep her than it is to pay child support. Like I'll be living underneath the bridge, paying child support on two kids, yeah. you know, at this stage in my life. And, you know, like I, um, you know, I had this great job, you know, and like in my job, I was like being celebrated and I was like, you know, like this, you know, everything was going phenomenal in that place. And, you know, I, you know, I was gaining attention from other areas. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's awesome. That's perfect. You know, I think I'll be okay without her. But then I got to thinking about that. And so I started reaching out to help because I remember one day we got in this big argument. I told her, Hey, listen, when um I come home today, don't be here. Mm. Don't be here when I come home. This is my house. You and the kids can get out. You know, I'm the one who pays for it. It's my house. You can go. And, she's like okay fine so you know (laughs) she started packing up and then while i was driving at work i got to thinking man that that's my whole check that's gonna go child support i'm gonna have to work another job just to eat noodles yeah you know i'm like i better call and make this work and so i i called to patch things up to beg her not to go but not because i didn't want her to go i didn't want to be around her i'd lost that love that i had had for her you know i i honestly was miserable with her and she knew it she knew i didn't care for her and that i didn't have those feelings for her anymore at you know like i had once had and that i was cold and distant but it wasn't because of anything that she had done it was all because i was spiraling and i said okay fine i said i'll go to marriage counseling i'll go to church we'll do whatever and so i went and talked to the pastor who would be our pastor at the time you know because when we did go to church when we weren't when i couldn't find something else to do you know, we, um, went to this church and I talked to the pastor, right. And I mean, he gave me biblical advice, but he gave me life advice. He's like, Hey, you had two kids. You got to suck it up and be a man. Like, <laughs> you know, you need to go home, and take care of your family. I mean, he, he didn't pull no punches. He's like, you got to stop being a kid. You lost that luxury when you decided to become a father and you need to go home and take care of your responsibility, which I was like, okay, that didn't really help me. I mean, <laughs> looking back, I, I understand that. what he was saying, but you know, in the moment I was like, that didn't really help me. And so we went on the Sunday morning, I was, me and Tony had been arguing. We, I was upset um, throughout the week. We had been arguing, not that morning. And I, Chris was sitting in the back of the church working on the sound system. And I was like, I'll be in the building, but I'm not going to sit next to her. That's, that's how I felt. I was like, I'm not even going to sit next to her. And I remember sitting, you know, in the church and like the song came on and like the, like the kids were doing something with the song. And all of a sudden in that moment, it was like I was alone with God and I asked God in that moment, I said, listen, I I don't want to feel like this anymore. Like, I don't like, I don't want to be this person. I mean, my, my best friends didn't want to be around me anymore. Like I remember Chris Parker telling me like, I can't handle you. You're so negative. Like everything is bad. Like you're, you're difficult to be around. You know, I don't really like being around you because you bring everyone down and like you know we have been friends for years and for him to say that like it really stung and so I was like I don't want to be that guy anymore lord you know I was like I tell you what if you could heal this pain that's in my heart and you could restore my marriage I'll give you my last breath on this earth mm. I will leave this earth serving you mm. in some capacity and I meant it and I remember I I cried you know like I've never been much of a crier in my life you know um you know i i tend to deflect emotions natural you know like that's my natural instinct you know sometimes and i remember i cried and cried and cried i probably cried years of pain away Mm. because i i think in that moment you know it's not that i didn't know god i understood god but i didn't have that relationship and it was like a wall broke down that allowed that relationship Yes, it was Jesus forgiving me, but it was also me forgiving God, right, and saying, "You know what? I can't blame you for everything right It can't be your fault for everything. I gotta take some ownership here
0: yeah, I think that that I think that's something that a lot of people need to hear is that god don't he's not mad at people who yeah you know are are upset with what's happened in their life, you know, yeah. and it's my life, man, crystal and I had been married for twelve years. And um, she pulled my phone records and she discovered a life that I was living that she had no clue about. I'm talking about like no clue about because wow. Crystal's, Crystal's like Tony. She just did the right thing. Does right, She's just one of those girls, no partying. Yeah. She was always like that. When we were dating in high school, she was the girl that wanted to go park, drop the top on her convertible and, and slow dance. Yeah. You know, wow. I never had a girl. She was the only girl that was like that. And she was like all about relationship. And she wasn't all about all that other extra stuff that I was always into. And so she was different, and it drew me to her. It really pulled me into her because she was that one girl that was going to be pure. She wasn't going to give me my way. Yeah. She 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 had respect for herself, and I liked that. But 12 years into our marriage, she pulls my phone records, and she discovers that I'm this guy that she didn't even know, man. I mean, literally, I'm living a life that she didn't even know anything about. And I'm in Texas hunting. I'm on a two-week wow. hunting trip. You know, I was making great money like you. I was on a hunting trip, and, and my phone wouldn't work. And so – I used my buddy's phone while I'm out there, and I'm like, I call home, and I could tell something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. (laughs) I was like, something ain't right. So I called her back a couple days later, and I'm like, Hey, what's up? She goes, I got your phone records in my hand, and she goes, and when you get here, I will not be back. I'm gone. I'm done. And I had two kids, just like you. Mm. And I'm telling you, man, it broke me. You talking about getting broken in a hurry? Yeah. Because I was on rock bottom sitting in Texas in a deer stand with no way to communicate with anybody because my phone wouldn't work. And I'm thinking about the fact that I'm fixing to make a 24-hour drive back home to an empty house with no kids and no wife because wow. I made all the mistakes. I was self-centered, yeah. and I was inconsiderate to my family. And so I knew because I'd been in church, I knew Yeah. I knew the right from wrong. And so I went to a church. I went up here to Southside Baptist. There was a, a Pastor Ralph. I don't, you probably know Pastor Ralph. Um, But I went up there and I just got on my knees on a Monday and I said, you know, Lord, I want to be I want to be yours. But this is what happened to me, man. I told him it's so crazy that you tell that story, because this is what I said to God. I said, God, everything that matters to me, I've ruined everything. I've ruined everything that matters to me at all. And I've tried to do everything my way and I've totally blown it. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I don't want to do it. I'm I'm completely surrendering my heart to whatever you want me to do, for the rest of my life, no matter what happens in my marriage. That was my deal, and so, this is a true story. I'm driving down Lake Jeffrey. I'm going by Perina. Those of you that don't know where yeah. this is at, there's a there's a there's a, there's a train track. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know right. What you're talking and about. There's a, <laughs> and there's and there's
0: a corner that goes around the left, and there's a church. Yeah. There. Well, I'm, I'm I cut this deal with God, right? I'll do whatever you want. I just Get me heal heal this whole thing. I'm going around that curve, and my phone starts ringing, and it's one of the girls that I had been talking to. Wow! On the other end, and I've come around the corner, and on that church sign, do you know what it said? What's that? It said Deal or No Deal.
1: Oh my mercy!
0: I I looked at that sign, and I was like there's no way
1: that's God right there. There's no way
0: who puts deal or no deal (laughs) on a church sign.
1: Yeah, that's God.
0: And so he, he, this is what I try to explain to people. There's a big difference between saying a prayer and surrendering your heart. Totally different situation. That's right. And I don't think God does business with us until we take that heart and say, this is yours to do with it. Whatever you want.
1: That's right. Yeah. You're 100% right. I, you know, I think that people like when they say, "Oh, I try," like because I'm sure you've heard this a lot too. I've tried God, but He didn't work. Well, that that's that's the problem. Yeah, you know because you know it's not about trying God; it's about surrendering to God yeah. and saying, "You know what? Hey, all that I am, I have realized isn't enough, and I'm willing to lay this down before You, and and make that deal and make that change." Yeah. You know, I won- so I, I'm guessing you you didn't take that call or you told that call <laughs> to go away. <laughs> no,
0: I, I'm gonna tell you, man. Those that was a crazy time in my life because I didn't think Crystal was going to come back. I really didn't. I thought it was over. Yeah. And um, it it goes on. This testimony keeps going because I got so hungry for the word. Yeah. I mean, when I tell you, when you try to make a deal with God and you truly give him your heart, he takes it real serious. It ain't no joke from that point. I mean, it's like, okay, buddy, you said you wanted my plan for your life. Here it comes. And I don't know if you've ever seen that picture that I put on Facebook a while back and it had, this little boy and the mother in the uh, roller coaster and they're in the car together <laughs> yeah. and the mom's like, yeah. And the little boy's face is just pure terror and it's talking about the Holy the spirit, spirit,
1: spirit and you and, and God's <laughs> plan,
0: you know, God's plan for your life. Yeah. And, and that's what it's like. But the the thing about it was, was I didn't know if God was going to reconcile my, my marriage, but this is what I did tell my wife shortly after I got saved and I got born again. I told her, I said, look, I said, I don't blame you if you never come back. I yeah. get it. I totally understand. You Trust me. I, you should have left a long time ago. But the reality is, I don't know what God's done to me. Yeah. But you might want to hang out just long enough to try to, to figure this see, out with to me. To see it's, it, yeah. It's different. I'm telling yeah. you. It was so much different. It was like somebody renewed my conscience. Wow, yeah. And took it back to its a- original.
1: Absolutely. I immediately felt a difference. J- just in terms of your story, I was going to tell you, my sister knew. She, she told me once. She's like, I knew Skipper Hare before Jesus knew Skipper Hare. (laughs) (laughs) Because my sister was married to Mike Graff. And so, you know, Mike, you know, so you guys, you know, you know, back over there in the swampland behind um, Brantford Highway or whatever, where that housing complex is now. You know, she's like, yeah, she's like, I I knew Skipper before. Because we used to go pull Mike out of, you know, some precarious situations when I was a kid. You know, she said, I, um," you know, I knew Skipper before Jesus knew Skipper. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Well, dude,
0: when I used to, go around and do evangelism and preach when I first got saved, um, I would sit down at the pulpit before the service would start, and I would see somebody come in that had known me from my past. Right. And they would just sit there and stare at me, like, with anger. And I would have to get up and walk out there and sit down in the pew and just try to explain a little bit about what had happened because they were like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, like, you, you, you do know, not deserve to be up there. Yeah,
0: they were so angry at me. But yeah. but God just radically, radically changed me. I mean, it was like, and, I, and this uh, is the thing, man. And this is what's so scary for me. And this is something that God has really burdened my heart with. There are so many people that go to church on Sunday that have never really given their heart to the Lord, man. And it's so scary because you know a tree by its fruit. And yeah. I'm not a judge or a jury, and I can't say who's saved and who isn't saved. But I can tell you right now, people say, well, how do you know? How do you know if you're saved? Yeah. And I said, it's real simple. One verse, Matthew 4:19. Come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. He didn't say... You might want to yeah. fish for men. You, I will make you a fisher of men if you're that's following right. me. And see, that's the thing is, my heart is always it's compelled. It's compelled to go out and share the good news with people, yep. to go out and help people find the hope, especially in what we're going through in our country with all this crazy division yep. and all the stuff that's going on right now. These kids that I'm preaching to right now, they're they're more hungry right now for the word than I've ever seen in a high school.
1: Yeah, yeah, that and that now is the time because I think you know with. The Bible is very clear that, you know, evil is going to abound and that lawlessness is going to uh, rule and the love of many will grow cold, that that's going to happen. And that's what kind of, you know, basically sets the path for, you know, the last days. But the Bible tells us that when that evil abounds, grace is going to abound even greater. And how it's going to abound is through you and me. Right. It's it's that willingness to be compelled. And that that to me, that's not that like you said, I'm not going to judge someone, but. The indicator of where they're at with God is by that compel. I wouldn't know how to be anything other than what I am. And I'm not talking about Pastor Ray, who pastors Connect Church. I'm talking about a man who isn't perfect, who struggles, who makes poor choices still, but genuinely tries to please God every day. genuinely tries to do my best for God every day. There's some days I get it. Some days I don't, you know, there's probably more days I don't than the days I get it. But I, every single day wake up with this conscious belief. I'm going to be a better version for God today than what I was yesterday.
0: And it's all about the people, you know, it's like I was talking to a group over at Belmont the other day. And I said, in some of these, some of the kids that were in there, I had a chance to disciple for a little bit of time. And this is what I told them: I said, the reason that I don't drink, it's because I know that's not what God wants for right. me. But on top of that, if you walk into a restaurant and I'm sitting there with a big old pitcher of beer and I'm snockered, it's everything I've said to you mm-hmm. is out the window. Right, and that's just not worth it to me. And, I would rather yeah. let my witness to you be priority over my want to go Come out on. and have a beer.
1: That's right, and the, it's the compel that makes you, yeah. you know, it says, you know what, that, it's not, it, it's not gonna change my life one way or another. You know, I'm compelled to do it. I know when I made my change, I, I left that church. I got in the car and told Tony, I'm different. Yep. Her response was, We'll see. <laughs> well <laughs> but w- and w- I but I was I was different. And when things came and the way she she had an expectation of me to respond a certain way and I didn't she was like okay something's changing.
0: Yeah. Well this was the funny thing. My mother in law of course knew me all yeah. the way back from high right. school. My mother in law, she'll actually tell you that when Crystal told her we were going on a date, she was wondering how she could get a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> to
1: make it stop <laughs> yeah, She's like,
0: You're not going out with him. Like, like no more, like you yeah. gotta
1: stay away from that guy. <laughs> yeah. How do we make that happen? So
0: So anyway, she um but honestly, man, when it all came down to it and I and I knew God was calling me. Yeah. And I, I was standing there with her and, and my mother in law one night at our house and I said you know, y'all going to think this is crazy, I said, but I really think God's calling me into the ministry. And they right. physically laughed at me. Wow. Because and anybody that knew me, B.C. Skip, any, yeah. it shocks people. Yeah. yeah. I remember I preached a funeral one time of, of a young lady that passed away from a drug overdose, and I preached her funeral. And there was a guy in the audience that I had bad blood with when yeah. I was lost. And I remember I went and saw his stepfather uh, shortly after that. And his stepfather came to me, and he said, He came to me and he told me if God can do that to him, he can do it to anybody. Yeah. It rocked him
1: to see how much God had
0: shifted me because he had never seen me since I had been saved. Yeah. And so it rocked his world to see how much God had changed me. Mm. And, you know, I don't know, man. It's crazy how much we have in in common. Yeah. And um and I'm I'm just gonna tell you, man, it's refreshing to hear you. I can tell you. you, man, because sometimes when you're in ministry, man, you feel like you feel like the the punching bag, right? Uh, you know what I'm saying, and uh, and sometimes you just feel like I'm worn out. I yeah. don't know if I can take it anymore because the enemy's just constantly after you. Yeah, and it, it it you know, I'll go ahead and tell you. I'll be the first one to tell you if you think you if you think you're called to do God's work.
1: Better you, get better
0: ready. Be, you better
1: be <laughs> You better be tough. You that's better be tough. Right. You better be tough,
0: man. And you better be able to deal with it. And you better take offense and just go ahead and put, put it, it to it aside. the side. Yep. Because you will get offended
1: if you don't. Yeah. You'll be heartbroken, quick, fast, and in a hurry if you're yeah. not careful. You won't be good to anybody. <laughs> you won't be yeah. good to anybody. That, that's the truth. And, when, you know, for me, when I reach those moments where I'm like, okay, what was I thinking? I go back to that sound booth. Yep. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, you said your last breath. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that I'm like, okay. Let's let's do it again. <laughs> well,
0: what happened to me was I said I prayed to to receive Christ on a Monday in December. But I kind of put off my baptism, and then my pastor called me one day, and he's like, hey, man, when are we going to do your baptism? And I said, well, I want to do it in the Suwannee River. Right. And I want to build a dock to get down. Yeah. I got a lot down there, and I want to do it there. And he said, I don't care if I got to climb up a vine. To get back off the bank, let's Let's go do it! Wow, July first, nice two thousand and eight. He took me down there, and this was the deal. I had said that I wanted to begin a relationship with Jesus in December, but there was something in me that knew I wasn't going to really and truly surrender until I publicly declared Declared it in front of
1: everybody. Right, so you made that proclamation yeah
0: so when i got baptized that's when god got a hold of my heart and shifted everything in my heart and changed me back to a to 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 the original and i remember thinking when i came out of the river i was like man i feel so clean yeah and it was crazy how 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 much it changed me and it was crazy because i remember crystal was still really upset with me about the things that i had been up to and i remember thinking I wish she would quit messing with me about it because <laughs> I don't feel guilty anymore. I mean, I, honestly, it yeah. renewed me to the point to where I felt guilty for not feeling guilty. Right. You know, so for me it was, uh, and I love what I do, man. Yeah. I wouldn't change my life right now for anything that yeah. life has to offer. Anything the world has to offer, I don't want it. Yeah. Because I believe that, honestly, I believe I'm the wealthiest man alive, and that's because I've got a wife I love, I've got kids that I love, and I've got ministry that I get to go out and speak to people every single day of my life yeah. and tell them about the only hope that they have, and I believe that when it comes to to true wealth, that you can't be wealthier than what we do.
1: That's right. This really is the best life you could ever ask for. I, I um, absolutely love what I do every day. I wake up every day, even on the hard days when they're because they're out there, you know, and those hard days come. I go back and I'm saying. That, God, I'm thankful that you brought me. And that's why I kind of wanted to, if it was all right with you, end with this. Because I talked about the void that I had and how, you know, not having that father. And this is what God does. So, no, he didn't bring John Marvin out of the grave and restore him back to me. But he put men in my life. Men like Carl Jeter. Men like Wendell Swilly, you know, who became fathers to me. And then became that, you know, in my life and are like grandparents to my kids. And they serve in that surrogate role. And like they're like they're my dad's, you know, like I, I can genuinely say that Carl Jeter and Wendell Swilly are my dad's. If I if I'm broke down on the side of the road, they're who I'm calling. Right. You know, if I got a problem with something, they're who I'm calling. I'm calling to talk to them. And like they have filled that role in my life and have been there for me and have helped me in ways that I never thought that any human being would be there for another human being, let alone someone that's not even biologically kin to them. And, you know, they've they've been fathers to me. They've been my dads here on this earth, you know. And, you know, so God, through His mercy and grace, filled a void there, you know, that even though I was willing to let that void go, And a lot of times, what happens, we hold on to this pain and we can't move past where God, you know, where we're at and to move into the purpose that God's called us to because we're so busy holding on to this pain that God's saying, listen, I know it's an ugly world and that bad things happen and it's. You know, and it's sad that these bad things happen. And while certain pains are never going to be erased, your dad's not coming back. You're you're not going to see your dad till you're on the other side of eternity. I'm not going to see my dad till I'm on the other side of eternity. He's not going to come back. But God was in his mercy and his grace when I was willing to let that pain go. He said, I'll bring peace to it. It may bear a scar, but I'm going to bring peace to it. You know, you know, and you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to move forward.
0: This is the crazy part about it, and I'll ask you the same question. That scar of being fatherless, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. And if I could go back, no. if I could go back, no. I don't think I would change anything. I really it, don't.
1: I, I would say it's instrumental in my call. I understand. Absolutely. I understand now. Not saying that God did it so I could be in this place, but I can understand how it happening has created who I am now. No doubt. And the the things that break my heart and the compassion that I have for children who don't have fathers, you know, and, uh, you know, we've adopted, you know, like we, you know, we've fostered, we've, you know, yep, we've we taken, you know, we've taken kids in, you know, because I understand more than you know i'm in the minority of understanding what that pain feels like right you know and i i am thankful you know like i wish john marvin keen was on this earth and he could see what his baby boy has become and oh, the yeah. things i've done in he my life you know i you know i wish we could celebrate those together but like i they they this life made me what i am and even the bad that I've done or the bad choices I've made or the pain that I've been through. It's prepared me for this moment to hopefully save someone else from having to go through it.
0: Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say this, anybody listening or anybody watching, I, I just want you to hear this because right now I've got a very, very close friend. His dad's in the ICU over in mm-hmm. Gainesville and my heart is breaking for him. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I want you to hear me if you're out there listening, when it comes to your father's relationship, um, I cannot tell anybody listening or watching, what I would do for one day as a mature adult to spend one day with my father. Yeah, absolutely. Just one. Just so I could talk to him and ask him some questions and gain some wisdom from him, because that's one of the hardest parts about being a dad is right now, if I had that dad, I would go sit down with him and I'd say, help me understand what I'm doing (laughs) because I have no clue. I'm lost, man, and I need help. But I want you to understand that, if you've had an opportunity to spend time with your with your father here on earth do it man do it don't hold don't let nothing hold you back from doing it i don't care just for forgive him
1: yes even if he doesn't deserve it do it just
0: just do it and because i'm telling you right now if you've been able to spend time with your dad on this side man i can't tell you how fortunate you are because i would trade I just wish I wouldn't trade anything for one day, but I would trade a lot of, of, of what I've been able to to have in my life for one day. Yeah. You know, just one, just yeah. one, just one day just to sit down and talk to him and just get some wisdom from him. Yeah. And I think about that when I think about Matthew 28, when Jesus had his last thing he had to say before you ascended back up into heaven. And he said, go. Yeah. To all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and I take that almost like that's my dad's last words to me. Yeah. And I'm like you, man. I know my dad will be proud of what I'm doing right now because all I do is invest my life in other people. Yeah. And I know he would be ultimately proud. And I know one day I'm gonna to get to be on the other side with him and and, and I know he's watching. I know yeah. they're watching us, man, man. And I know they are because you know, when you read in Revelation, yeah. People are actually asking God about what's going on on earth, but yeah. like they can see it. So I believe that people can see what's going on on the yeah. other side. So, But I want to tell you, man, this has been great, brother. Yeah, we, thank we, you. We might have to break this into two parts because yeah. it is pretty long. Yeah, it's can go a little white. But, but this has been really, really, honest to God, man, it's been so encouraging for yeah. me. Because just to see your story, just to know what's going on, and to see how God's worked in your life, man, it makes me realize that I'm not by myself because there's thousands and thousands, maybe even million of guys that have stories like ours. That's right. And hopefully this will reach some of them.
1: I hope so too. You know, and if there there is someone that's listening, maybe they're at the place where we were, where you feel like you're at the bottom and there's nowhere to turn. There is. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus.
0: But you got to give him your heart guys, man. I mean, if you really want that radical uh, impact in your life, You're gonna to have to give Jesus your heart you can't play Jesus ain't playing games yeah you know what I'm saying it's for real with him yeah and uh he really wants you to be serious so when you commit go all in go man. all in go all in don't leave nothing they say don't leave nothing on the field that's right Don't leave nothing on the field, man. Go after it. So, hey, tell us about how to get in touch with you, about your church, about how to watch online, how to get to you. Tell us all about
1: Connect. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity for that. Yeah, if you uh, would like to check us out, you can always go to our website. It's www.connectinglakecity.com. You can look us up on Facebook. We stream all of our services live. We're on the west side of Lake City, about two and a half miles west of i-75 off of Thomas Terrace um, our address is 771 Southwest Thomas Terrace we'd love to see you we have services on Sunday mornings at 10:30 and then we do small groups uh, all throughout the week at various times we'd love to connect with you and get to know you a little bit more you know thanks for having me on today I appreciate the opportunity to share you know my heart with you just a little bit and to share what uh, God has been doing in our ministry and just sharing like you know two fathers you know that we were able to share our testimony and our story but it really wind up being two fathers saying hey you got this you you got the most important job in the world you are literally shaping generations
0: amen hey we're just Make planting seeds man yeah, come on yeah. and so guys if you want to find out more about fca outdoors which is my ministry it's fcaod.org fcaod.org and we'd love to hear from you man if you want to get involved you want to go minister to some kids in school i got you i'll help you i'll train you i'll take you in there man we'll do it we'll do whatever we can to help you answer God's call in your life. So I just want to tell you, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Man, God bless you guys. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll have you listen next week. Cause I think we're going to do one about the upcoming election. I've got a guy coming in, my nice. brother-in-law, he's going to come in and he's going to give his recommendations on the upcoming election. Nice. So for all the amendments, so you guys stay tuned. Thank you so much. We love you.
1: God bless. Thank you for listening to a voice in the wilderness podcast with Skipper hair. You can stay connected with us and our family on our YouTube channel, days uncut And don't forget to click the subscribe button. If you'd like more information or to support FCA Outdoors, go to fcaod.org.